Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HBIC podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HBIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HBIC are pursuing discipleship. In other words, how they're learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week, I sat down with Debbie Wanger to talk about her, her passion for uh, minimalism, uh, how that plays out in their home, how it might play out in the church. What even does minimalism mean? Does this apply simply to hoarding our stuff or the schedules we keep or, or you know, life in general as we pursue simple living as followers of Jesus? Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hope it's uh, practical and uh, inspiring for you. Have a good week. Debbie Wenger, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out. I The rumor is that you are like a Marie Kondo type, basically, or that you are, you see minimalism as a value. I do too, um, which is why I wanted to, you know, interview you. I love to throw things away. Maybe that's not how you would... T- um, how you would describe, you know, this value for yourself. But in conversations with you and Joe and, and hearing some different things, I know that that's an aspect of your life that you've kind of thought deeply and critically of. So I would love to hear um, why, what that means to you, how it would tie into a, an ethic of simple living, um, which is a value in our denomination, um, and maybe some of the spiritual underpinnings to that. Um, but yeah, why minimalism? Um Slash maybe who are you and, and it, it, to the degree that that is like played into, you know, your personal story into some of your values today. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I'm naturally inclined towards, like you said, throwing things away. Um, I, I was thinking about growing up and, you know, we we weren't poor necessarily by any stretch, but we had less than maybe some other people in the area. Um, and I think my parents did a really good job of instilling me like gratitude, um, and not like constantly wanting more and more and more and more. And we didn't, I didn't grow up Christian. Um, I didn't become a believer until later. Um, but I think my mom especially did a really good job of teaching me to be content with what I have. Um, I think part of it also was seeing how, material items, especially at that time when I was younger, um, how they could get in the way of life. Um, you know, seeing people just want more and more and more in my own house. My brother, you know, didn't like to throw things away and it got stressful sometimes, um, just caused conflict. And so I think part of it's just me naturally being inclined that way, but also how I was raised. And then as I started getting older, it became kind of a combination of, of things. Like I think that's normally what we think of with minimalism. Um, but it's also about how we spend our time. So just kind of starting to see that there are things that can get in the way of us living our lives more fully. Um, and what, what do we need to do to make sure that that doesn't continue to happen? Interesting. Okay. Um, so it's always been something for you. 
Yeah, I think to some degree. I think it shifted as I became a parent, what that looked like then mm-hmm. as we started to busy our schedules and started to see, hmm, maybe I need to kind of transfer this idea of simplicity and minimalism into our um, the choices that we make with our schedule and commitments, responsibilities. Um, it's like shifted over the years. Sure, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it's easier to be a minimalist when you're like 17 and have like nothing. and For sure. Also nothing to do. Yes. You know, do you remember like pre-children? Can you think back that far? At I this can. Point? It it was delightful <sighs> in some ways, you know. And it, but it's also funny because I you ever I was wonder e- like, what did I do all the time? It was busy though. Like yeah. I I think even in high school, I I remember being very very busy. And so again, it's that idea of like, okay, can I can I simplify my life so I don't have as much anxiety, so I can do the things that I want to be doing, the things that bring me joy and fulfillment, rather than just you know, they say like the hamster wheel, just running on that hamster wheel, like whatever the culture says I should buy or do or whatever, achieve. Um, yeah, could I make some changes so that I'm not running on that same hamster wheel where I just feel like I'm not living with much purpose, um, not doing the things that God has called me to do. Um, I think a lot of it, a lot of it comes back down to being with people and and prioritizing people and experiences over things. Um, I just find much more meaning. And I think even research shows us we find much more meaning in those relationships with people um, and the experiences that we have. We don't we don't care at the end of the day when we're like 99. I mean, that'd be great. Um, But, you know, when we're 99, we don't really care about the stuff. You know, we want to have spent more time with people like that's when they look at people and they research and interview people who are older. Like that's what they they missed Mm -hmm. out on is the time with people. Um, and so I just want to live my life in alignment with that. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think most everyone will resonate with the hamster wheel imagery. I would imagine. I think putting it in, in terms of not just our stuff, but also our time and how we're spending it too is, is really important. I think, um, consumption can look different. Um, or, and possession, I guess. But like, you know, so we think of minimalism in terms of like, I don't need all these shirts. I don't need all my CDs or I don't need whatever it may be, like not being a, a hoarder and getting rid of stuff. But there's also, um, you know, as, as a culture, our materialism extends beyond just the things we have. It extends to um, always needing to just like consume and vibe entertainment, like fill all our like white space and dead space and, and, I think that falls under the same category of like, um, you know, uh, on my deathbed, I'm not going to be like, man, I really wish I had like watched the Sopranos. Right. Like, I heard <laughs> yeah. such good, like, man, I really wish I had made time for, to, to, to watch, you know, through lost again or whatever it may be. Um, there's that aspect of it too, of our time expenditures and how we're, you know, a cluttered life mm-hmm. can look, uh, it doesn't necessarily like, only express itself in a cluttered home. Right? Absolutely. I think sometimes minimalism gets a bad reputation because we think of like the very white, pristine house, right? right? And that's that's not necessarily what it is. I think maybe it just needs a rebranding or a different word. So it was really helpful that I started this conversation with Marie Kondo. Oh. <laughs> that. Ironically, really... I never read her book. I, I've heard the principles, but yeah. Yeah, me neither, honestly. I, I read an interview with her as a, as a quick aside. I don't even know if this will keep staying in the podcast. I read read an interview of her recently that 
you know, she basically, she has like a kid now or multiple kids since she did her whole, like, if this doesn't give you joy, like get rid of it type thing. And, um, she has like two kids under the age of five now. And she's just like, yeah, I, I might've just been like wrong or oh. just like life is just messier and like, it's just not realistic and, and life's more complicated than that. And I have children now. And, you know, if you came to my house, it would not look like, you know, Magnolia magazine or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, when we enter kids into the situation, it changes things. You know, I think I, I am completely guilty of this where I tried to like force my family to fall in line with my own values with this. And I think there's some element of like instilling that in our kids, you know, my kids, have to pay when they turn 10, they have to pay for half of their clothing with the allowance that they've been, you know, accumulating. And that helps teach them like, do I really need this? Do I really want this? Right. And they pay for all their other, you know, extra things anyway. Um, but, you know, trying to teach them like those marketing tactics, you know, well, they're just telling you that you need this now, but you don't do really need that. Um, and so, I, you know, trying to teach those things, but also at the same time, you know, this looks different for everybody. And so, I've had to learn to recognize that minimalism and, and alignment with my values is not the same for me as it is for my husband. I don't think we need two TVs, um, but he feels like it's helpful to have one in the basement because it's quality time with the kids playing video games. And so do I agree with that? Not necessarily, but I'm not going to fight him on that because that is important to him and it does bring him joy doing that with the kids. Um, for other people, they might choose to spend more money on um, you know, art, because that's very meaningful to them, and it brings them a lot of purpose. And I, so I think it, I think it comes back down to, you know, are we just kind of like willy nilly spending our money and spending our time and whatever? Are we like actually thinking about and discerning what our values are and are they alignment with that? In a little bit, I want to dig into the why of this, but to put some skin on it, um, could you list for me a couple of the practices or values that you guys do live out as a family when it comes to stuff, when it comes to time? Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I'll start with like material items. So we have a weekly, the kids are cleaning their bedrooms type of day and they go through their bins. They each have like a desk or bins or whatever in their rooms and that's where their stuff is. And so they go through that and they say, am I going to keep it and or am I going to donate it? Am I going to trash it? Because it's one of those things. Um, and I have wow. to, for the younger kids, like put a post-it note on the wall. So my younger kids like that, where I have like a donate section, a keep section and a trash section. And, um, oftentimes there's a lot that goes in the trash. It's kind of incredible. Um, and a lot of the times it might not happen like the week after they got it, but a couple weeks later, like that, um, enticement of it has gone down. Um, so that really keeps that at bay. And then we really encourage like when it comes to gift giving experiences. So that doesn't always happen. Even we sometimes buy our kids gifts. It's not like we're like anti gifts at all. Um, but the things that they remember the most are those experiences. So I try to remind like family and friends, like experiences are the thing that they really enjoy that time spent with people. Um, my daughter, just as a quick aside, yeah. I this so hugely resonate. Like now that you have a kid, it's like, where, where did this come from? Where did all this stuff come from? Even doing like a weekly, like how could they, how could you have all these other things that are like trash worthy now? But Ash, Naomi's like a, she's like a magpie, you know, like, does that, 
reference translate? Like yeah. The bird that just like, she's always carrying around like 20 little like tchotchkes is what we call them. We, she has a whole drawer in her room of just like random tiny like uh, objects that Naomi has to carry around or are very important to her until like, it's cute until like a week later when she like never thinks of it again ever. And so you periodically have to purge and be like this little weird, like mermaid necklace charm was like, or she could not go anywhere without it for like six days and then it was done. And, um, there's just an accumulation of, of stuff, but she's three and a half. So we don't really have many intentional practices with her. Yet. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, and I think that's the thing. It's sometimes it's meaningful to them, mm-hmm. but then, you know, eventually, yeah, that wears off and, you know, and I think when they're younger, it's a little bit easier because you can kind of like go in there and get rid of some things and they don't really notice it. Now with my older kids, I have a kid that's very much that way. And he's probably the hardest one to like instill this value in. But again, I have to like remember something that might be important to him might not be important to me. And so we have kind of like, we have containment though. Like if it does not fit in here anymore, like something has to give. Um, And then we take pictures of pictures that they've made or things that are meaningful and have it digitally. And, you know, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, Ruth, I'm like, you have not played with this in seven hours, so you clearly <laughs> don't need it anymore, and it is gone. Um, stop being selfish. The other kids want it more. Um, that's I'm like I'm ruthless with it, so it's good to hear other people's experience. It's good for my wife to remind me, like, you know, different people. It's easy for me to say because I just don't really attach that much, that much value to stuff. You know, it's really easy for me to part with it. But um, so. That's that's really cool how you do that with your kids and then you instill in them the value of time spent and invested in experiences and with people. Um, and I assume you live that out as a family in different ways. Yeah, so so we try to keep our schedule not so overloaded that we don't have time to, number one, relax as a family and be as a family, but also for other people when things come up or we're just like, hey, let's just go ahead and invite somebody over or whatever. Um, so back years ago, we were not that way at all. And we were running ragged. We were saying yes to literally anything that would come our way because we just wanted to be servants, right? But it comes to a point where you're not really doing, um, you're not doing anything good for yourself or the other people. You know, you're maybe saying yes to something that somebody else could be saying yes to instead that would really fit them better. And so, um, Essentialism is a book that was really helpful for kind of helping us to realize that there might be things that we need to say no to um, so that we can make room for better things. And it's not that they're bad. It's just that these might be better for us. And so one thing that um, an old boss of mine actually taught me was to have a do-nothing day. And so she said once a month, she has a Saturday that she and her husband, they didn't have any kids at the time, um, they blocked it completely off. And they would not let anything come in. They wouldn't put anything on the schedule. And so we started doing that years ago, and that was really helpful. Now, it's not the easiest thing to do once you have four kids. So um, we don't do it exactly that way. But when we're looking at our calendar, um, we start to look and see, okay, are most of our weekends full? Let's not schedule anything for that day. Um, and then we intentionally only let the kids do like one activity each. And even then they're not all doing one activity at the same time. Um, we say no to a lot of things, um, because we know what life is like when you have too much going on and then we're not being as good parents. The kids are over, overdone. Um, and then we're not being servants and saying yes to the things that God has called us to do because we don't have time. Yeah. The margin 
needed to, I mean, I think so often the main thing standing in the way of us, you know, being faithful in serving others, loving others often is just like our own exhaustion or our own lack of availability to do it. You know what I mean? Like how many of us, if we surveyed our own lives and our schedule from week to week, would be like, you know, there is no space there for, you know, what if somebody else has an emergency, you know? And this is a challenge to me where, as a pastor, you know, even I, I hear daily of, of different like crises and things going on in people's lives and how often my immediate, if my immediate response is like, I do not have the bandwidth to think about that, you know, I mean, there's a place for boundaries, but that also might mean like there's too much in my life, too much else. Um, that the idea of, of, of somebody else's crisis, just the idea of it is like overwhelming for me. Um, so uh, I'm definitely with that. And like in the, in terms of a do nothing day, I mean, it's kind of like a Sabbath question mark. I mean, yeah. And so now we do have, um, something that we call a tech Sabbath. It was from a book called 24 seven by Tiffany Shalane. And, um, that helped us to have more of a focus on spending time together, um, and we can choose to invite people over or do, you know, spend it however we want, but we intentionally don't do any technology. And that honestly, for our culture and like how we live our lives as Americans, like that, that frees up a lot of time. You know, it's easy to get caught up on our phones and television, video games, whatever it might be. Um, so we do do that, uh, on Saturday, uh, not Saturdays anymore. We used to do it on Saturdays. Now we do it on Sundays. Um, and that's been wonderful. And so, Typically, we're not scheduling a whole ton either because we do see it as a Sabbath. It started as a tech Sabbath, but yeah, like we need that time. We need that margin, like you said. Do you and your family find uh, what, what significance to be found in the tech Sabbath? Because to me, um, thinking in terms of minimalism, thinking in terms of mental health, um, feels to me like abstaining from technology is the most like crucial thing that we could be grasping and like practicing today. I think that, you know, the number one enemy of, you know, if we want to talk in BIC terms, the number one enemy of simple living is like the smartphone. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, so what significance have you found in, um, the tech Sabbath specifically as it has, has it yielded fruit in your children's lives and you and Joe's, you know, mental health and. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's so much, so much to access on like a smartphone or an iPad, right? So there's a lot of temptations there, wanting more because you see ads or the um, comparison trap on social media, like all these things, right? And so for us, you know, our kids really fought it at first, naturally, because what kid is like, yeah, I don't want to use my iPad. Um, and even for us, sometimes it, you know, that instinct, right? Like we've kind of created this like oh, dopamine hit, yeah. yeah. And so, for our kids, it was hard at first. Now they're like, okay, we just know that this is like how it is. And truthfully, like I think back to all these Sundays and they have been so sweet because the kids get so creative. You know, we, we say it's okay to be bored and we want kids to be bored. And that's for good reason because it really does open up their minds to like do other things. So they'll play lots of games together that they normally don't, or they'll just kind of create something random, um, or they'll spend more time outside. Um, it's really quite beautiful in a lot of ways, and I feel like we spend a lot more time together because of it, because we're not all distracted by something else. And that includes us as parents. You know, I try to be pretty intentional with my phone, but 
they know, like I can get caught up on it and just, you know, be scrolling through something or just distracted and look at something up. And um, for them to have my undivided attention because it's not on a phone is really important mm-hmm. and, and healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you've never tried to do like a, a fast from your phone, um, you know, even for like four hours on an afternoon, And then realize how quickly you compulsively, at least this is my experience, how immediately you're aware of the compulsion to like pull it out of your pocket and check it or pull it off the table and check it or be scrolling something and like just count in a four hour period. Like how often did you, you know, how often did your brain go to like, let me, you know, look at that. Um, I've heard numerous stories of, of like youth groups, whether it's middle school or high schoolers who have you know, phones have been taken away during, like, on the way to the retreat on a weekend or whatever, all the phones were taken away and how there's, like, some initial hand-wringing and, and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then by the, you know, every time that I've heard this story, by the end of the weekend, you know, the kids are like, this was the best weekend that I've had this year, like, in my life. Like, I feel so close to the people around me. My head feels clear. I'm not, like, stressed. Like, you know, and that's obviously not all attributed to the fact that you didn't have phones, but the night and day from like Friday evening, how they felt when they had to give the thing up and then like the kind of weirdness of like, okay, it's Sunday afternoon here. Is it back? Always really struck me. Um, yeah, there's, I heard of a school, like a college that is, um, playing around with trying to entice students to give up their smartphones. So they are asking them to get rid of it for their school year and then they will pay them like a scholarship in essence for doing that and like they're talking with them throughout the year like how how has this been and the results are very positive you know they think I'm this is going to be really difficult and it is but the fruit of it is so much better Mm -hmm. no it's beautiful if you could see this principle of minimalism uh born out in the life of the church in some capacity, uh, what would be your suggestion? If you could do the Marie Kondo makeover and come in and say, like, here's what you guys have to clean up from a practices perspective or a material perspective, um, what what suggestion would you offer? Are we talking the church as a group? Yes. As an entity? Not like the building. Not like, yeah. Not necessarily like how we're decorating, but maybe, maybe that too. I don't know. Take it however you want to take it. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, in one sense, time is a big one. You know, when I talk to people, a lot of people are really, really busy. Um, And I think it means that we are lacking the relationships that we really need to have, the depth of relationships. Um, So I, I would say, number one, if we started with the church schedule and kind of looked at that, okay, how busy are we? Um, and are the things that we're doing in alignment with what we've felt God calling us to do as a, as a whole entity, um, but then also individually, it trickles down. Um, so I think, number one, looking at that and the busyness of our, our church schedule. Um, and then I would say it's extra important for, for us to really look at modeling for one another what it looks like to live intentionally in the choices that we make. So with individual congregants, um, encouraging one another to 
be content, you know, as Paul says, like, I'm content in all circumstances, right? Um, so trying to really encourage one another to be content with what we have um, and call out what we see in one another to um, look at the the passions and the gifts and the skills. And then it, are there things that are um, kind of weighing us down to be able to live those out um, so that, you know, and again, that goes back to like discipleship and you can't have discipleship if you're weighed down by the schedule and all the things, you know, if you have too much stuff in your house, then, you know, you're taking so much time to take care of the stuff instead of being with people. Like it's, it's all intertwined. Um, so at a church level, I think we just start with our, our schedule as a church and looking at the ways that we're spending our time as a church and then modeling that at that level. And then it will trickle down. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that came in my mind when I was preaching on the Sabbath a little bit. It was like the most, one of the more challenging things was like, you know, are, are we just, are we just doing too much? Um, and our, and how as a, and so I'm speaking as from the position of a person that's on staff and like has more of a hand on the wheel of the, you know, those decisions, you know, are we doing too much? What precedent are we setting, um, in terms of restfulness, um, you know, in our own congregation, um, and there's also, I think, an interesting aspect there of if you want to talk about essentialism, or I'm going to try to, I guess, but um, through the lens of, you know, our spiritual giftings and, like, are, are, is there a sense in which maybe an individual congregant needs to, like, declutter their schedule because there's, like, they should, re- they're, like, gifted in prayer and they really ought to be kind of like focused and devoted to that in a way. Um, and maybe so they shouldn't be helping out with five other ministries throughout the course of the week so that they can be doing that. You know, I almost think of, um, in the, the book of acts when it feels, it sounds almost like a selfish thing at the time, but I think it's chapter six when, um, they're like run into a trouble, like who's going to like be serving them, communal meals and the, and the apostle Peter, whoever it is, it's like they create the deacons basically. Cause they're like, well, we have to be about the business of the word and we can't like be busy waiting tables, which I always thought was f- the way it was phrased sound really like uh, derogatory and dismissive of like, I don't got time to be a waitress. I've got to, you know, I'm too busy preaching the word, but there is a, a, a sense in which like, yeah, no, like it, there, there's also a goodness to, Peter being able to focus on that teaching aspect or that was his gift. And then other people in the church, um, according to their giftings, you know, being able to exercise those with some amount of health and margin versus being on seven different committees and ministry teams and and things of that nature. Yeah. I think, you know, the spiritual gifting part is, is a really important piece. I think that ties in really well, because again, I can say yes. This is—I ha- mean, this has happened to me so many times. I'll say yes to something that somebody asked me, especially in the church context. That's a really easy one to get wrapped up in, as you know. And so, sure. um, I would say yes to something, and I could—I could do it. It's not that I couldn't do it, um, but number one, it wasn't bringing me any joy, and. Two, it was taking away from somebody else who maybe could have done it better and who had more margin to be able to do it that was really more in line with their gifting. And so, you know, me doing some administrative tasks, I I can do it, but it brings me no joy at all. And so I know that there are a lot of people that would prefer to be doing that. So I'm going to say no if that kind of thing comes up. And it's not because I'm being selfish. It's actually because I'm I'm trying to love others better. Um, 
and so I think, you know, when we, when we think of whatever our, our gift or gifts are, we probably have more than one, um, we have to look and see, okay, yeah, what, what is preventing me from being able to live that out? So if I'm, if I'm gifted in hospitality, but I feel like I am constantly overrun by all my stuff or I can't find the things that I need in order to be hospitable, you know, I can't find the cookie tray or whatever it is that you need, um, or your, your schedule is too busy because you, you don't have time to invite people in, then you're not able to live out that gift of hospitality. And, you know, that's a shame and it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, and you're you're robbing other people of the opportunity then to to use their gifts and right. be involved in those different ways. Um, as a parting word, what would you say to someone who pushed back on you and said, you know, you're let's start with the material, and you know, it could translate either way. Uh, you're looking at their life, whether it's the material things or the clutter of their schedule, and saying like maybe this 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 can go. What would you say to that person who pushed back and said? Um, well, I might need that thing <laughs> next year or, uh, well, I could use that or, well, this is a good opportunity. Um, and it would be a shame to not do it. Um, if you were sitting down with them, like you are with me and they're kind of pushing back on you and that, what would you say to them? Yeah. Um, it might somewhat depend on what it is. Um, but I think I would say, you know, at, at the end of the day, are you going to regret, um, are you going to regret not like not having that? Um, is that going to be the thing that meant the most to you in terms of like a material item? Um, I would also like touch upon, do they feel free to do what God has called them to do? Like, is that thing getting in the way of you being able to do what God has called you to do? Um, I think there's a lot of, yeah, there's just a lot of freedom in, in being more, um, in line with simple living, being some, I'm saying simplistic, that makes it sound simple-minded, but, um, you know, being more intentional with, with what we do with our time and our things. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I would, I would just ask, do they feel free? Do they, do they feel like they are in line with what God has called them to do? Or do they feel like maybe there's something there that the Holy Spirit is saying, Hey, maybe this is something to pay attention to so that you can be freed up. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Um, and I think maybe as a parting word of my own, from a discipleship standpoint, choosing simplicity, choosing minimalism is a choice to depend on God a little bit more or depend on other people a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, let's bring it all the way down to, you know, I have five spatulas. Do I need five spatulas? And it's like, well, I might need, you know, I might need five because what if this thing happens into the future and I need to, I have five lasagnas and I have to serve and then I don't have five spatulas. And, and my answer is like, well, maybe when that time comes, then you have to depend on other people and their spatulas. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a sense of, you know, these counters of like, I might need it. I might need to do this thing. I might need to have this thing, whatever is like at some level, those are choices for like self-sufficiency and like preparedness for the future where maybe we just need to embrace, maybe simplicity is embracing a posture of dependence to some degree as well. Yeah. I would say even interdependence, right? So yeah, if, if we don't have something, somebody else probably does, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a big thing that get people get caught up on is, well, what if I need it? 
Um, I, I don't keep much of anything from when my kids were little because other people needed those things more than I did right now. And I'm not going to save it for when my kids have kids because right. somebody else needs it right now. And so for me to be able to provide that and the same has been happening to us as well. You know, I think we are called to live a life of community and it's in America, it's really easy to not do that. Mm-hmm. And I think because we get so caught up in just accumulating things and staying busy. And so I think minimalism helps us yeah. to be more interdependent. There you go. You only need one spatula. Amen. Maybe no spatula. I'm going to be a no spatula person. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's great. It's a good word. And then, you know, in terms of dependency on God, you know, I don't want to be that person that's bottling up the manna for the next day, you know. Yeah. Um, so we can be pushed to depend, be interdependent and to be dependent on God uh, as we practice having less, doing less, being less yeah being more question mark i'm losing control of the metaphor but uh debbie thank you for sharing that perspective and that challenge for us yeah thanks for having me yeah absolutely